Welcome back to the 157th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including the decline in trust in America is strong, but not just in institutions, in everybody. How scientists have to kind of alter their narratives in order to get published in some prestigious journals, and how the ongoing battle over schools is going to bite the right in the butt. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now that's enough rambling for me, let's jump in to our daily debate. So why do most Americans shudder at the idea of the government getting involved in their their lives? I've heard a few different things over the last few weeks, which really made me rethink this idea. I thought, oh, no, no, the the government, when they get involved in people kind of shudder, they get angry. It's just because of the policies. And upon further evaluation, no, it's not always just the policies specifically. It is the government getting involved in the first place. Are we just an anti-government people? Are we just anti-power? Is that how we're built? Is that part of our American legacy? Or is there something more to it? Throw it down in the comment sections. I love to hear whatever you guys have to say. All right, let's jump to our first article, which comes from the Wall Street Journal. And I, I do like this title a little bit. How American Institutions Went from Trust to Bust. Pretty clever. And this is one of those things that we talked about before in July when there was a huge study that came out that detailed why Americans or how much Americans trust their institutions, how much they trust each other, so on and so forth. And now we're starting to have people actually analyze it, break it down, and give even more opinions about why that is the case. And also, as we go into election season, things tend to get a little bit more bifurcated. They get a little bit more divided around policy or different party lines. So you see this conversation starting to come up again. And the author starts in a pretty good way. I'm going to read his general synopsis of the thing, jump in here or there. And then he does have some specific reasons that he highlights a little bit later. And I obviously have my own opinions. I'll sprinkle them throughout, so on. So let's jump on to the first quote. Quote, at the heart of Americans' political and cultural turmoil is a crisis of trust. In the space of a generation, the people's confidence in their leaders and their most important institutions to do the right thing has collapsed. The federal government, big business, the media, education, science and medicine, technology, religious institutions, law enforcement, and others have seen a precipitous decline. And the sad thing is, it, it does speak to a broad trend, and I'm not quoting anymore, it does speak to a broad trend that this affects a lot of different groups. And it speaks to religion. It speaks to the large technology companies, which we rely on for a lot of our day-to-day interactions with people. The education system, the people that are supposed to give us our news, the companies that we are putting money into in the stock market or buying products from as consumers. And when you have this many different institutions, when you have almost all of them failing to some degree or not being trusted. What is holding us together anymore? And that's exactly what the author is getting at here. And this is exactly the bigger point of this article. We need these institutions full stop. And when all of them, every single category is starting to decline, that speaks to a turmoil, a malaise, a sadness, in my opinion, that is a cynicalism that is deep-seated in the U.S. 
population right now, and we can't keep moving forward like this. We know this. Everybody knows this. But it's a lot different than just saying, hey, we're divided, and we can't move forward like this. No, it's we are divided, but without the ability to trust these institutions, people become very, very skeptical. They become more cynical. And then this has a ripple effect down to the local level and then to the people around you. Now, of course, I'm not saying just because you don't trust the media doesn't mean you trust your neighbor who might be a little bit different than you. You may still give them your key. You may still say, hey, Bertha, can you you know, go feed our dog when we're on vacation? But the longer this sort of mistrust stands on the broader scale of our society, the more likely it will trickle down and infiltrate people on the lower level. The question I would ask a lot of you is, would you trust a random stranger to hold your keys? Or if something went wrong and you had to go grab something, would you say, hey, could you hold my spot in line? Or could you do blah, blah, blah for me? Just asking a stranger a random favor, how many people right off the bat, are willing to say yes. Of course, it probably matters on the amount that you're asking of them or what exactly you are asking of them. But think about that question. And if you have any hesitation to do something that may be a little bit risky, but you're afraid to just trust some random stranger to help you, then that speaks to the fact that we're not very trustful as a society. If we don't have a underlying moral code, if we don't have the same institutions, strong institutions that allow us to trust within our own society, how are we going to move forward? And, you know, think that question over. Maybe there are some lines that you can think of that I'm not necessarily thinking of off the top of my head. And maybe there are some justifiable ones where you wouldn't trust somebody with your keys for a minute when you have to go do something. But throw them down in the comments section. Let's get back to the quote. Quote, as faith in the performance, credibility, and integrity of these institutions has collapsed, so too has mutual trust, the social glue that holds the country together. Americans have become suspicious of one another, distrusting their fellow citizens as much as they distrust foreign adversaries. Think about the controversies that have played out in the last few years, allegations of both parties stealing the election, false claims by mendacious presidents and other politicians, politically motivated federal law enforcement decisions, questionable advice and mandates from public health officials, news coverage that skews on one political side or the other, a succession of corporate scandals and financial crises, and various social dysfunction caused by social media and emerging technologies, end quote. So you can see what he highlights here, the different times that we have put our trust, we have held up our hearts to these companies and said, oh, please, we, we want you to do good, we believe in you, and then they've slapped us down, they've rejected us and said, no, 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 you shouldn't trust us, or at least proven the fact that they shouldn't trust us. And then the last one that he brings up, of course, is media, social media, and emerging technologies. And this is, of course, another really important one. And I've highlighted this multiple times in Twitter tirades, in different articles. Social media, if not used correctly, if not, I'm not saying controlled, let's be clear, but if not used correctly by the people on it, if being exploited by the algorithm, it can be very, very, very dis disheartening. It can make you see one side or the other more, and it can make you distrust the people around you more. And think about it this way. There's another underlying aspect. I'm not necessarily talking about the algorithms in this case, but think about it this way. You can have a completely normal, 
conversation with somebody on social media. You can also have a conversation on social media through DMs where you're willing to say things about a friend or acquaintance or a colleague that you would never be willing to say in person because maybe that person that you're talking to is friendly with them. Maybe you could get back to them. Maybe you're afafraid of repercussions of saying what you say and getting punched. This social media allows you to disconnect from the direct responsibility that you normally take on in a social interaction. And then because of that, you're willing to say things that are a little bit more out there. And in doing so, you may say <laughs> things that are mean to another person or about another person on social media where you don't feel as though the repercussions are directly going to affect you. It's, oh, it's just a few words on a screen rather than actually having to deal with it in person. And then... Guess what? That breeds a sense of distrust between people because people go around saying crappy things behind people's back on social media because they feel like they'll never have to feel the consequences of their actions. And I know you're like Alex, that's a stretch. Yes, it is a bit of a stretch, but also acknowledge it it's true. And this kind of non-face-to-face communication, it does promote this idea that we don't have to be as trusting as connected. We don't have to say, "Hey, I trust you to come sit down with me at a coffee shop and be civil and have a good conversation." No, we can just text over WhatsApp or we can just send videos back and forth over Instagram. You're not building that social network in the real world, therefore you don't have to trust that person as much. You're disconnected from the consequences. So maybe that's a part of this as well. But the author does highlight a lot of the institutions and their failures over the last few years and I want to give a lot of these examples because they are good examples and for some people they're not necessarily fresh in the mind they may have lived through them but they don't remember all of them so these are a few of the different examples that he gives over the last 20 years or so that have really shaken the people's trust Quote, a trusted government told Americans in 2003 that an enemy had weapons of mass destruction and was poised to deploy them against the US and that war to disarm them would be an easy task for the US military who would be greeted as liberators. Well, the weapons were never found and the grinding occupation claimed thousands of Americans' lives. So think about it that is talking about the weapons of mass destruction campaign that was put out by the Bush White House and the Cheney White House and saying who Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction we're just going to go in it's no big deal we're going to go in we're going to take over and it, it will be easy as pie that did not turn out to be the case trusted bankers and regulators told Americans in 2008 that the financial system was sound and their money was safe when that turned out to be false ordinary americans they lost their jobs their homes while those who had caused the crisis were bailed out trusted technology companies told americans that their personal data was being handled safely and that new apps and platforms they were using were good for them and society americans have found out for themselves the darker side of the digital revolution and its effect on mental health personal privacy and security 
So that's also what we were talking about with social media companies. And I didn't even go into the part where they're exploiting your data and selling it on to people or the fact that it causes mental illness issues for certain segments of the population who are really susceptible to those sort of things. And then also, as I mentioned at the top of that quote, the big banks that were bailed out after 2008. Even though, even though a lot of the people who were just living their lives who were just trying to make buy, make it by on a really high mortgage payment, they got screwed when the 2008 recession happened. So why would you trust those bankers anymore? Why would you trust the government that bailed them out instead of letting those banks fail and saying, no, 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 this is the repercussions of your actions. But then on the personal level saying, no, these are the repercussions of your actions for taking out a bad mortgage. It's just like the banks taking out a bad bet on subprime loans. So it, you can see the hypocrisy and you could see why it would breed distrust. <sighs> and there's one more one that I want to highlight here. There's obviously Donald Trump that the author does bring up, but there's one more important one that I'm going to quote. Quote, trusted big business told Americans that their pursuit of global markets would be good for the economy, create jobs, and reduce prices. Then these businesses turned themselves into propagandists for woke ideology. So this one, I think, is a little bit more, it's more culturally relevant than some of the other ones. It is still in people's minds. But when a company tells you, hey, we're going to pursue the bottom line, we're going to try to create jobs, we are going to try to make prices cheaper for you, that's great. But then when they turn around and they don't focus on those things and they spend an exorbitant amount of money on different social causes, the people that invested in that company are frustrated because why are you wasting the money I invested on this blah, blah, blah program? The people who trusted these companies in order to provide them guilt-free service are now looking at these companies like, why, why does there have to be a political agenda with what you're giving me? And the people that wanted more jobs... Well, guess what? Those jobs aren't necessarily going to everybody. They're going to particular segments of the population. So you can see how this is frustrating. You can see why people would be absolutely livid when they hear things like this. And this is just one of many factors that has led to our social decay and this lack of trust. Not to mention all of the political sidewinding, all of, and this is over the last, not just 20 years, over the last 60 years, how many presidents have promised to do something? How many senators, how many congressmen have promised to do something? And then when they get in, oh, well, I tried my best. We can't actually come through for you. We can't get this program. This is just a modern trope. It's literally a joke. Oh, a politician promises what he can on the campaign trail, but when he gets in the office, those promises go out the door. It is actually a trope that we talk about in American politics. And guess what? That has an effect. When that's been going on for generations upon generations, when promises are made but they're not kept, are you really going to trust that person? If you ask your friend to loan $100 and, you know, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, I'll give you the, the $100. And then you come back a week later and say, ah, hey, I can't pay you back yet, man, but give me give me another two weeks. And then your friend follows up two weeks later. Hey, do you have my money? Oh, yeah, hold on. Give me, give me another two weeks. If you keep doing this for years upon years, your friend is never going to loan you out money again because why would he? You made a promise that you would repay him when you went to ask for that loan. And now he sees nothing. He doesn't get his money back. 
why would he ever, ever want to give you more money? Why would we as American people ever want to give these type of politicians who make promises that they can't keep, why would we ever want to give them more power? Why would you ever want to put your money in these banks that are going to screw you over and get bailed out but not necessarily refund your money or help you on your mortgages if something goes wrong? So it's honestly just a long-term game. There, there are obviously lots of mitigating factors, but as a society becomes more mature, as we come into a place where there actually are big institutions that have been around for a while, the track record is more likely to be negative. And that's not to say that they don't have lots of positive things, but people remember negative things. And the longer these institutions are around, the more likely negative things are to happen. So I think this is part of the maturing process of a culture, but also I do believe that it is a deep, deep cynicism that has taken hold. And I do not think it's that it's the best for America. And I don't necessarily know how we restore this trust besides putting people into power in government that actually stay true to their word and also to actually do some things that the people would enjoy. I know, really basic, right? But what I mean by that is not necessarily things that will help the people just by giving them money or things of this nature. But no, staying true to the idea that we are a country where the government doesn't try to get involved in people's lives too much. They don't try to interject directly into how people go about their daily lives. They don't force certain education standards down on people. They don't bail out banks that were playing it risky. They do not step in and directly interfere with the mechanisms of American life. Because guess what? Then the amount of times that they can mess up, the amount of times they can do something that is negative for somebody, decreases tremendously. Because they're not making bold proclamations that they can save something, that they can fix something, that as the government they have the power to do blah, blah, blah. And then don't end up following through and disappointing people. Like student loans. Think about it that way. If Biden didn't make the promise for student loans, then his smaller attempts to get the loans passed, if he didn't promise that he could do it, and then he got these small concessions where he was able to cancel a little bit here, a little bit there, then people would say, oh, he followed through on his promise. But no, he made the bold proclamation that he can cancel all of them. And even though he can say, yes, I tried everything I can, it's outside of my hand, people are still going to look at him and say, no, no, you said you could do it. Why didn't you do it? Maybe there needs to be a little bit more political awareness on the side of the politicians that, hey, this actually isn't feasible and I shouldn't bet. I shouldn't say that I can do more than I can. But, you know, they're probably not going to do it because guess what? Politicians want to get elected and big promises are what gets you into that office a lot of the time. All right, let's jump to our second article that comes from National Review. Scientists admits to altering research to fit the preferred climate change narrative. Now, when I first read this one, I was very, very intrigued, or at least when I first read the headline and then read through the rest of the stuff, it, it's very intriguing to see this sort of thing. And I, I know that National Review is taking a perspective from the right on this one. And of course, climate change is one of those things that the people on the right want to push back against a little bit more and the people on the left want to embrace. But I think this actually speaks to the overall mentality of the culture, which is everybody's going to pull statistics out of their butt 
everybody's going to have statistics that they can pull out of their butt that frame their narrative positively. We're going to selectively choose information in order to support our narratives. And that's not saying that in supporting a narrative or having data that supports that narrative that it's instantly, oh, no, no, you're just pulling that information out of your butt. It's not true. No, both both sides of an argument can have stats that prove their point, and maybe people just need to concede and actually work towards a bipartisan solution or a solution that incorporates both of those statistical models or the solutions proposed by those models. But no, we live in a time where it can never, ever be that simple, and everybody has to fit into a little box and they have to use their research in order to benefit their side, or in this case, in order to progress their career in a very prolific scientific novel, they have to tote the line of climate change, which is sad to see. And it's not sad to see because it's climate change, it's sad to see because the fact that you as a scientist have to do an unscientific thing, which is not verify all the information, not use alternate sources, not thoroughly and deeply research something and only cover one aspect of it in order to get your information out there. It's sad. And how do we expect to move forward as a society, or at least with our scientific knowledge as a society, if we are constantly hamstringing ourselves trying to fit into narratives? It kind of reminds me of what happened with the church when there were lots of different scientists who were pushing back against the church. Oh, no, no, no. The heliocentric theory. We are not the center of the solar system. Copernicus he was persecuted for this. He was pushed to the side. And even in the, fa- in the face of his evidence, lots of scientists were able to disprove it. They were trying to fit the current narrative. They were trying to be friendly with the church. And then, therefore, they shoehorned their research and their conclusions into a particular box. We're just playing the same game over and over again. This is not new. But we should be better than it. And that's what matters. We should be better than this. We do not want to live in medieval England or medieval Europe and be controlled by the church. No, we want a free and amazingly liberating scientific perspective that allows us to understand, hey, we can be wrong. We need to improve. There could be other aspects to this that we're not necessarily looking at. Instead of taking a party line, taking the line of the big the power people in power. And it's sad that the incentive structure is put this way. And it's also sad that people like this gentleman, Dr. Brown, they succumb to the want, the need to be published in these big journals, and they're not willing to push back or f- talk about other aspects of it. And let's be clear, he's not saying that climate change isn't a huge factor. I'll read a quote here in a second. It is, but he's saying there are other factors that come along with it that he decided to exclude in his research in order to get into the journal. So let's talk about the falling standards, or as the article puts it, quote, as standards fall, studies that turn up exciting results that editors want to hear often get published while studies that don't advance left-wing narratives in a center, a clear-cut manner fail to be published, either because the scientist never submits it to the journal or because the journal refuses the publication. This is happening quite openly in nature. Science has for too long been complicit in perpetuating structural inequalities and discrimination in society. Nature announced in its ethical guidelines in 2022. 
quote, potential harms to the population's studies may outweigh the benefits of publication. Academic content that undermines the dignity or rights of specific groups assumes that a human being is superior or inferior over others simply because of their social characteristics, include hate speech or denigrating images or promotes privilege, exclusionary perspectives raise ethic concerns that may require revisions or supersede the value of the publication, end quote. So if we're to break down what they just actually said there, because it is a, a word salad and a half, if you put a certain group of people in a bad light with your research, we don't want it. If you are trying to promote inequality or your research lends itself to empowering some of these previous narratives about why certain things happen that disproportionately affect one part of the population, then that's bad. A clear-cut example would be if you did a study that showed a certain segment of the population, let's say the bottom 20%, is not necessarily you know hurt because businesses are gouging them, but because they're not spending their money correctly or they're being irresponsible with the way they go about living their lives or people on welfare are not using that money in the correct way. If there's research about that, they would most likely, this is a kind of far-fetched example, but they would most likely say that, well, no, that's actually going to put them in a bad light. It's going to harm these people. It's inequitable in order to cover this topic in this way, and we don't necessarily want to publish things like that because we believe it will harm that segment of the population. It will create stigma, reinforce stereotypes, so on and so forth. And, you know, maybe in a world where everything is glossy and rosy, sure, sure, we could have a ethical statement like this, but that, that's just not true. Their research is going to highlight good things and bad things, if done properly, about every single segment of the population. It is going to say that, oh, well, there are these great qualities that allow this certain segment of the population to rise economically, but there are also these cultural habits, like maybe donating half of their money every single month to different foundations and charities that are actually going to hurt their income growth over time. So there, there are lots of different aspects here, and to deny that there are negatives that come along with the positives when doing research, and to say that we won't publish those negatives, only the positives, basically, or anything that purports to be inequitable to a certain group or would disproportionately hurt members of that group, then I feel like that doesn't provide any way to move forward. If there are negative stereotypes or if there are certain aspects to research that highlight, okay, well, the narrative isn't as strong here. Maybe our beliefs on blah, blah, and blah aren't as simple as we make them out to be, and there are more factors here, and those other factors will make a certain segment of the population, a certain part of the research community look bad, then we should most definitely put that out there because guess what? In order to become better, in order to improve, we have to see both the good and bad. In order to know where we have to get better, we have to know where we're failing. And that goes for every single person. If there was a study that said that white men who are between the age of 21 and 25 
are more likely to spend their money in an irresponsible way on booze, or they were going to spend it on an irresponsible way and get a fancy car. But no, no, that stereotypes, you know, men from 21 to 25-year-olds as irresponsible spenders, blah, blah, blah. They would actually disproportionately affect one of those groups. And I don't think nature would have necessarily a problem with that. But if white men from 21 to 25 were their one group that they wanted to protect it to make sure that no negative stereotypes got out there, then I would be mad because guess what? Maybe that would actually make it to the ears of some of those 21 to 25-year-olds who would say, okay, yeah, actually, I was thinking about getting that new BMW, but that actually may be some irresponsible spending. And now I see it's not just a trend with me. It's a trend with lots of other guys in my age bracket, and maybe we can change that. And maybe we can build towards a more responsible future. Now, it's I understand I do understand that the push to be ethical, to serve communities that they feel are underserved and to not put them in a bad light. But in doing so, in not pointing out the flaws in something, we very much undercut our ability to actually fix the thing. We're not actually helping people by ignoring their problems. We're not helping people by saying that certain aspects of the climate agenda shouldn't be pointed out. Because In this case specifically, he points out that climate change isn't the only thing that has led to wildfire increases. There's also burn control measures. There's the point of origin. More people are starting irresponsible fires. Guess what? If we went into the national parks and had more stringent fire-making protocols, if we actually cleared out more of the brush, maybe that would help the wildfire problem. But saying it's solely climate change, one, makes it too big for us to deal with on an individual level or on a state level. It makes it a worldwide problem that we have to force everybody else to do, so it kind of disempowers us. But two, it stops them from going in and clearing the brush because, oh, well, no, the research doesn't say anything about it. The research doesn't actually support that. They say it's mainly climate change. So being blind to all the effects, even if they are not ones that we want to talk about, will hurt us in the long term. All right, let's jump to our final story. It's going to be very, very quick. It comes from the National Memo. Right-wing scammers are targeting public school kids. So this is about PragerU being involved in schools across the nation now. Lots of more right-leaning schools are allowing in PragerU. And I'm going to read one quote, and then I'll give my own little excerpt about the whole situation. Quote, PragerU is a right-wing propaganda factory that claims to generate 7 billion lifetime views for its massive archives of videos targeting college-age viewers. While its name conveys the impropter of a nonpartisan education facility, the organization describes itself as focused on changing minds to be more conservative. And let's be clear, they say focuses on changing minds, that's in quotes, and then they add their own line of to be more conservative. So, you know, a little bit of tricky wording there if you're just listening, but it's not wrong. They do want to move the needle in a more conservative way. There's no doubt about that. Founded in 2011 by Dennis Prager, a right-wing talk host on radio with an array of extremist views who has argued that either studies confirm what common sense suggests or they are mistaken. The organization has been heavily funded by Dan and Ferris Wilkes, the extremely religious GOP mega donors who also backed the Daily Wire. 
PragerU rolled out its PragerU Kids line in 2021 in direct response to the right-wing frenzy over critical race theory. As with its videos geared towards college-age viewers, PragerU claims that its kids' content is intended to counter the left-wing material purportedly taught elsewhere. So purportedly taught, no, no, not purportedly taught, actually taught elsewhere. We have seen the books that have been approved by these different school boards. Parents have read them in front of them, and the school boards have shut them down because of some of the material. We have seen videos of teachers talking about this and saying that they're trying to create a certain environment and they're going to break some of the school's law, uh, school's rules or the state's laws in order to ensure that their school or classroom is in a very particular way favoring certain ideas. Now, there's no denying that we've seen lots of things about this. There's also no denying that we've seen lots of Republican schools jump in and ban books as well in response to this. And this person is getting outraged that PragerU is jumping in and they are trying to, you know, skew people one way or another. Well, what about teachers who play Vox material or they play Media Matters material? You may agree with them more, but the right wing would say, oh, this is left wing indoctrination because they're skewing the facts, just as you would say the right wing is indoctrinating with PragerU. So the reason I wanted to highlight this is if you're really outraged about teachers skewing one way or another or schools allowing certain type of content, ban all of it. Ban every single one. Only have officially officially allowed books and services. Only have government-sponsored videos that try to give both sides. If you're really this outraged at it, then get rid of all of it. Don't just attack the Prager U for it. And also on the Republican side, don't just attack the other side for it. There is a counterbalance to be had. There can be information presented by both Vox. Uh, so I, let's, I'll make a very, very simple example here. Vox has a video that I've watched about the gender pay gap. And then Prager U has a video that I've also watched about the gender pay gap. Why not play both of them? Why not allow students to go through? But no, both sides have to say the other side can't have that material there and has to be our material that's allowed. Guess what? Kids are smarter than you think. They may not necessarily enjoy having their ideas challenged, but in doing so, you'll actually allow them to think, explore, and find a better version of both of what they're saying. Maybe both videos have something that is worthwhile to consider. And maybe, you know, you may make your kids doubt for a while, but you also encourage them to go do their own research and find their own information because they're being presented different narratives. And let's be clear, I don't know why kids would be watching gender pay gap stuff anyway. I don't know why they would be talking about it. But if it really came up in social studies or it came up in a different class that's an honors class when they're in high school, present both sides and let them figure it out or get all of it out and don't try to push a narrative at all. That's my opinion. All right. Let's jump in to our daily delight. This one comes from a smaller outlet called HITC, video of Ginger Cat singing with owner on TikTok is too cute to handle. And to be honest, as much as I, I really don't like TikTok, there's definitely some cute videos that go around on there. Quote, whether it's real or not, TikTokers user, users are obsessed with a video of a ginger cat who has gone viral for singing perfectly with its owner like a trained vocalist, end quote. You know, and I, I did see this, and I sang for nearly 
nine years, and I am extremely sad that this cat is ten times better than me in every way, shape, and form in singing. I mean, obviously, I did something wrong with the first few years when I was doing the crowd. Quote, if you thought the reaction of Pitbull in his owner's absence or the elderly Labrador from the TikTok tugged at your heartstrings, wait until you watch this video of the singing cat, end quote. If you do want to watch that video or you want to read any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button where you can find all of them. Also down there, there's a link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, as well as Podvine and the Twitter handle, Your Daily Flip, where I post a Twitter tirade every Tuesday and Thursday. And with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.